Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. North Carolina, 81. Duke, 77. No way in hell Duke ever lives that down. Because no way in hell Carolina will ever let them forget about it. Don't get me wrong. This is not about Coach K. Even though Coach K said after the game, it's not about me when, frankly, the entire year was kind of about him, right? Put that aside for a minute. I love Coach K, but that might be one he might want to have back. It's not about me. Really? The whole year has been about you. Anyway, this particular loss is not about him. Like, when I say that, I mean he is a legend. He is the best to ever do it. He was great. He will continue to be great. He is still the GOAT. However, Saturday night was not the end of Coach K, but it was the end of Duke, North Carolina. Yes, I said it, because that rivalry is now dead. D-E-A-D. Dead. 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 It's over. It's done with. There's nothing left that can be said. Anything that a Duke fan says from here on out does not matter. The only response is April 2nd, 2022, scoreboard, look up at it. Get used to that, Duke fan. That's going to be the response to anything you have to say going forward. So that conversation that you think you can have or you think you want to have should never, ever happen. Duke fans have nothing to say to Carolina fans ever again. And if you're a Duke fan talking to a Carolina fan, here's what you can say from now on going forward. Yo. Yo. That's it. That's the end of the conversation. Yo. Yo. You can't talk junk. You can't run any junk. You can't even talk basketball at all at this point. Just say yo. Yo. Or maybe a hi. Ask about the kids. Then get back into your BMW 3 Series and go about your day. Hi. And repeat that for the rest of your life. Hi. Hi. Yo. Yo. Because Duke and Duke fan, you're never going to live that down. Ever. Never. Ever. You could win the next 10 national championships consecutively. Carolina would still have bragging rights over you, period. You could beat them 50 straight games. And you would still be looking up at them. And again, I want to be very clear. This is not about Coach K not being the GOAT. He is still the GOAT. I'm not saying that it didn't sting. It did a hell of a lot. But ultimately, he's going to be fine. However, while he did have Duke ahead of Carolina in that rivalry for a long time, that rivalry is in fact now over. It's dead. Duke fan, you know it. North Carolina got you in your place in Coach K's final home game. They got you again in the Final Four. They wrecked you and your party on Coach K's final home game, and then they ended you forever in New Orleans Saturday night, and then they partied their asses off after they did it. If you thought that losing to Carolina at Cameron Indoor last month was bad, and it was, it was really bad, This is a billion times worse. The team that you beat in February by 20 just beat you two straight in the two most important games for Duke this century. Both of those games meant more to Duke than they did to Carolina, and Carolina still won them. And again, it's not about Coach K. Losing in the Final Four does not change his legacy And even losing to North Carolina doesn't change that legacy. The legacy was already written into cement. He's going to go into retirement. And even with the two ultimate package blasts, he is still the GOAT. But Duke fans, you on the other hand are done. You're never getting over that. Carolina could lose every game for the next decade. And you could win every game for the next decade. And it still is not going to erase what happened in New Orleans on Saturday night. And if you want to know the exact time of death, it was with 24.8 seconds left in the game. Inside 30 overall. Love. Top of the key. Oh! Big time delivery. A shot of the night. Damn, that was cold. Cold as hell. Caleb Love is a bad man. An absolute assassin. 
That was a dagger in that game. A dagger in Coach K's career. 15-second difference between the shot clock and the game clock. I mean, the expectation is you eat clock, and then you try to get to the bucket with only a few tickets left on the shot clock. That or you just do this instead. Team to shoot. Love dribbling. Gets a screen. Three, top of the key. Oh, he Uh-oh. Did it. Caleb Love gives North Carolina the four-point lead. I, like, I can't stress this enough. Given the moment, given the stage, given the stakes, you would be hard-pressed to find something, anything in life, much less basketball, more badass than that. Pulling up from three when a three is not needed and doing it anyway to end the game. That is the very definition of cold-blooded. Caleb Love should have been allowed to do that Sam Cassell dance after that because he had some church bell-sized grapes to take that shot over a seven-footer who was closing out. Miss that. Duke can get the rebound, go down, spin clock, win the game. Except he didn't miss. He buried it and ended the rivalry. So, Duke fan, you can talk all you want about Christian Leitner and the five national titles, but nobody is going to hear it. Nobody's going to listen. All anybody is going to think is 81-77, and all they'll think about is Caleb Love burying Duke. Caleb Love ended Coach K's career and the best rivalry in sports at the same exact time. The GOAT has moved on. And now Duke has to as well. Man, they've got you for life. They own you. The rivalry is over. Go find a new rival. Let me just say this again. And I'm not that guy. And there's a lot of those guys on social. That was not a win for me. I'm not a Duke hater, right? I'm a big Coach K guy. I'm a big Duke fan, honestly. Honestly. I'm not that guy who came in here with a gas can to do that. I'm just stating facts. I'm just being really objective here. Now, if you're somebody who hates Duke and hates that life, then go ahead and do what you do. You are anyway. I'm just being real and objective. And in being real and objective, I'm telling Duke to go find a new rival because that rivalry is dead. You know, maybe NC State wants some. Maybe Wake Forest. Maybe you try UNC Wilmington. Or how about UNC Greensboro? Maybe that's more your size. Because you can't say that UNC Chapel Hill is your rival anymore because they are not. In fact, hate to say it, basketball isn't even your sport anymore. For you, basketball no longer exists. Not after your rival did you the way they did. It's over. It's done with. Maybe you move on and, I don't know, to coin a phrase, Reinvent yourselves. Maybe your reinvention project is that you come back as a football school or golf. Or maybe now rowing is your thing. Anything but basketball. And certainly not basketball against North Carolina. Shut it down. Let's go home. Shut it down. Let's go home. And I want to be so clear about this. I don't have a dog in that fight. I just don't. I'm a West Coast guy. I'm a University of California system guy. I've got no dog in that fight. I really didn't care who won. If anything, if anything, I wanted Duke. I was holding on to a plus 1,200 ticket. Oh, so that's why you're pissed, Rome. No. That ticket was not going to change my life. Just being objective. Objective like when I say UNC just put Duke in a Justin Bieber Grammy suit. Cameron Crazies. Why don't you just start showing up yeah, I mean, like, you need an outlet now, right? And basketball is not it. So if you're the Cameron Crazies, and you're some of the best fans anywhere, right? They run some of the best smack anywhere. They're the brightest. They're the smartest. I mean, they're a blast, right? The Cameron Crazies. But now you need a new thing, a new outlet. Maybe you could start showing up at fencing matches. Or lacrosse. Or equestrian. Or more specifically, that, that horse dancing sport dressage. Anything that UNC does not participate in so they don't bitch slap you there, too. Davis will dribble it out, and the heels kick their rivals to the curb. It's not even about me being wrong. Like, I was wrong, and I was right. I was right. The big head and I both went Carolina, and we took the points. 
But I was wrong when I said in our Big Head Bet segment on Friday, there's just no way Coach K is going out like that. I just I can't see it. I cannot see Duke and Coach K losing to their bitter, bitter rival twice in a month on two of the biggest stages ever. And, you know, they went down swinging. It was an amazing game. It was a great game where nothing lives up to the hype that did and smashed it. And then they got smashed. And now they're dead. D-E-A-D, dead, dead, dead. It is time to die. That rivalry is dead. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? He is a good friend of the program. He is Greg Berhalter. Greg, it is so good to have you back. My man, how are you? Hey, Jim. How you doing? Good, good. Now, from the time that you first came back on this show or on the show back in 2018, the goal has always been World Cup qualification. You have won other trophies along the way, but how good does it feel to know that you are going to the World Cup and that part of that mission has, in fact, been accomplished? It's great. Um, you know, it, it's the first step to really getting this program back to where it belongs. Um, you know, the trophies were, were great and gave the group confidence. But, you know, in the big picture, getting back to the World Cup was essential. All right, so I understand there's a lot of work to be done. But I did have Zach Steffen on the program Friday. We talked about the fact that the failure to qualify in 2018 has been a talking point for years. Now there is a new challenge. But in a way, Greg, does it feel like there has been a weight that has been lifted? I think so. I mean, for, for the fans, for the players, for the staff, everyone, you know, qualifying was a priority, and we know how difficult it is. We also know that we're doing it with a really young team, so that's going to add to the, the challenge of it. So, um, you know, now, now with that out of the way, now it's time to focus on performing well at the World Cup and making some waves in Qatar. Greg Burhalter is joining us. I'm going to talk to you about the youth of that team in a minute, but... You went from Costa Rica to Qatar for the World Cup draw, and you were drawn into a group with England, Iran, and the European qualifier to be named later on. Now that you've had some time to kind of analyze that and let it sink in, what are your initial thoughts about that group? I think it's a good group. I think there's possibilities. Um, you know, you can get really, really difficult groups in the World Cup, and, um, you know, this is favorable. You know, we know England is a, is a strong opponent. Um, we know Iran finished first in their in Asian qualifying, so they're a good team. And then we have to wait for the the final qualifier. But overall, I think we we can match up well with these teams, and um, you know we're certainly going to set our sights on advancing out of the group. Greg Berhalter is joining us. Speaking of which, you know, fans are they immediately switch into figuring out points and what it would take to get out of a group. Do you do that as well? And if so, do you have a target number? You know, I, I haven't done that yet. Um, you know, we're focused. We'll be focused on just one game at a time, you know, trying to get off to a good start with a win. Uh, then we have that England game. We'll have to see how they do in their first game. But it, get, it gets fun in the group stage when, you know, when your main goal is just to advance. Um, you know, you start doing the numbers and seeing the results, and that, that's the fun part of the tournament. We're talking to Greg Berhalter. You mentioned England a couple of times. Their manager, Gareth Southgate, was one of the first people, Greg, that you reached out to when you were taking over. Why was he somebody that you wanted to connect with? And then what was that conversation like? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, there's a lot, there was a lot of similarities to the English team when he took over and when I took over, um, the U.S. team. So I wanted to pick his brain on that. You know, he had a young, very young player pool. There was a, they were under a lot of pressure from the public. They hadn't performed well in the recent years. 
So all those things were, were very similar. And, um, you know, I read about how he went about building the program and I was really interested in it. And, you know, he is a, is a thoughtful person. He's an open person. So we had great conversations. And, um, you know, part of that, part of the blueprint that he used, you know, I, I used as well to, um, you know, to get the U.S. back to where, where we need to be. We are talking to Greg Berhalter. It makes sense to me. Now, you've also made the point that England has amazing depth, and there's a level of familiarity in the sense that you got a number of players who play there, and then you got a couple who grew up there, and they are on TV all the time. So is that familiarity, will that help when it comes to preparing for them? Definitely. Um, you know, these are these are all household names. We watch them play every week. Um, you know, we you mentioned we have guys that are playing in England, so so that certainly helps. And then I think the final step is that it's a hugely motivating game because you know um, everybody's going to be watching and everyone in the Premier League is going to be watching. And any players that have aspirations to, to go play in the Premier League, um, that's a great showcase. So, great. you mentioned also that it, it's a young team, right? It's not just that you qualify for the World Cup, but you're doing it with the youngest World Cup qualifying team in U.S. history, and it's an average of two years younger than every other team that has qualified. It is a group that's dealt with some setbacks and some adversity over the last few years. So how much pride is there for you to see the way this young talent has grown and developed over the course of qualification? You know, I'm just really, really proud of the group. Um, you know, the staff, the players have worked extremely hard to get to this point. And um, it's gratifying, you know, to think that we're doing it with such a young group and that, that there's going to be ups and downs. And the guys, they, they hang in there. They don't get discouraged. You know, they look at these, the ups and downs as challenges and they continue to thrive and continue to embrace these difficult moments. And that's what I've been really proud of. Now, the flip side of that is part of that youth means that you don't have many guys on the roster who have been to and played in the World Cup. You have a number of guys who played in the Champions League and have big match experience. But as somebody who played in a World Cup yourself, how different is the atmosphere and the pressure in those matches? It's amazing. It really is. Um, you know, the whole world will shut down in November and everyone will be focused on, on what's happening at the World Cup. And, and that's the beauty of it. Um, you know, from, from when we participated in it, just, you know, thinking about the quarterfinal match against Germany and, and you know, millions and millions and millions of people are watching that game. It, it's a fun thing. And, you know, I know our guys have, have played in pressure moments before and have played in big games before, and that's certainly going to help this young team as we prepare for the World Cup. Greg Berhalter is joining us now from our conversations on and off the air. I know you're a huge, huge process guy. I'm curious, what's the process like between now and kickoff on November 21st? For instance, what types of friendlies are you looking at? And do you try to find teams that are similar to the ones that you're going to face in the group in a potential crossover match outside the group? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we're doing both of those things. So we're going to prepare with, um, with some Asian teams that will be similar to um, Iran. That, that will be important. Um, we'll get some South American teams for a potential crossover. We'll get an African team for a potential cross, crossover game. Um, you know, all those things to prepare. And then what we'll do is we'll start scouting. Um, you know, we'll have staff looking at virtually every team in the opponent so we're prepared no matter who we play um, in the knockout phase. Greg Berhalter is my guest. Now, you used 38 different players during the World Cup qualifiers. Do you have any sense, and you've got time, but do you have any sense as to who's going to be on that plane to Qatar, or could there be players who haven't yet played in a World Cup qualifier who could be on the World Cup team? You know, it could happen, um, but I'm not, I'm not so sure of it. I think it's a long shot for that to happen, um, just because of the, the age of the players we've, we've been playing already and the the, the breadth of players we've been playing, as you mentioned, 37 players. We, we virtually have seen, you know, every, every player in America. So um, it, it's, been, it's been a great process these last three years to identify players and give them opportunities to, to perform. Um, but you, you never know. Um, someone could come out of the woodwork that, that we haven't seen, we haven't evaluated yet. He is the head coach of the U.S. men's national team, Greg Berhalter, my guest. Now, Greg, my guy, you are an enormous sports fan. You love you love all sports, but even more importantly, you are a Tar Heel. Take me through Saturday night. What was that like for you? Uh, so I was I was on the plane back from um, from Doha from Qatar, and and uh, I got online. And I was watching the score on the ticker. That's that's what I was doing. I didn't get to see it. But my house was filled with people going going crazy watching it here. 
I, I'm just curious. Like, I mean, what what does that mean to you? What does that victory mean to you? And even as somebody who played soccer and went to school there, can you explain what that rivalry means to those who are outside the area and would never understand? Yeah, I mean, it's it it goes deep in every sport and and you know in just everything. You know, the schools are so closely. Um, they're so they're located close together, so there's that geographic rivalry. But then, you know, there's there's hatred. You know that that's the way I describe it. And you know, and for UNC, the, the crazy thing about it is that you know it's the first time they've ever played Duke in an NCAA game, which is outrageous if you think about it. And with it being Coach K's last game, you know, it meant it meant a lot to the group. And Super excited for them tonight in the final. Hopefully, we can we can bring home another national championship. I was going to say, I mean, like you sound great. I don't know if you're dealing with some jet lag. I don't know if you have other <laughs> things to do. Like, what's your plan? What's the setup for you tonight to watch this game? Uh, it's with family. We're we're getting. We'll probably have some people over, but it's with family. You know, just we got. A, I got my sneakers on already. My wife has her sweatshirt on, and we're we're in game mode already. It's um, you know, it's early. But we're prepping. All right, so finally, as a high-level athlete and coach, what are your thoughts about – it's a quick turnaround now, right? Like, I understand that yep. they understand how big it is, but there was so much energy expended mentally, emotionally, physically, the whole thing in beating back their enemy. Like, what advice or any concerns that you have for the team coming to this one? What are you thinking? Yeah, that's the danger, right, that you had such a big win that you can't get up for it again. But – you know, when I saw them win in the quarterfinal to get to the to the semifinal, it was emotional as well. And the players and the coaching staff was was really excited, and I was concerned about the, you know the energy levels for the for the final four. But they they got up again. They beat Duke um, again, and I think they'll you know I think they're this close. They've been in such good rhythm lately. You know, I think I think we're going to get this one. All right, so final thought, how proud and happy are you with Hubert Davis, given that, I mean, this is a guy who had to follow the guy, and in his first year, the team was not playing especially well. He took some heat. How proud are you of him as a coach and a leader that he was able to kind of stay the course, right the ship, and get guys turned around, and now he's getting the credit he deserves? Yeah, you know, to follow in Roy Williams' shoes is not easy. That's that's the first thing. But then the second thing, to to watch Hubert um, on the sideline, to watch how calm he is but supportive he is of his players, to see how, how thorough he is with, with his coaching. You know, I, I sent him a note and just congratulated him on the work so far because he's done an amazing job. Absolutely love that you and I could have that conversation about your school and that game tonight. Love the fact that you're doing exactly what you set out to do. The U.S. has qualified for the World Cup, and there's a lot of good things ahead. He is the men's national team head coach, good friend of the program, led the U.S. back to the World Cup, and the World Cup first match will take place on November 21st. Greg Berhalter, my guest. Greg, appreciate you. Congrats, and always good to have you on the show. Thanks for doing that. Great talking to you, Jim. Anytime. And now I've got a message from Discover about rewards. If you're a loyal credit card customer, you should be rewarded for your loyalty, preferably with something that's useful, you know, like cashback match. Discover matches all the cash back that you've earned at the end of your first year. How cool is that? Finally, rewards that make sense. Discover. Exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations do apply. Now, as far as Coach K, no matter how great Coach K was at his job, And he truly is one of one. He is the GOAT. I've come to now find out many of you, I want to stress that, many of you believe that he actually did face an impossible task on Saturday night in beating North Carolina. That task was impossible because shortly after Coach K and the Blue Devils took the court, a curse was dropped upon them, the night of this generation's greatest coach, with the more talented team, arguably, could overcome. Not according to a lot of you. According to a lot of you, not even Coach K with the prime 92 dream team could have gotten the job done. Because evidently this particular curse is more powerful than any other curse. In fact, more powerful than every other curse rolled into one. You know, the Billy Goat, the Bambino, the Madden cover. All of them rolled into one. Yep, yep, yep. 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 The Drake sports betting curse. No! Alive and well, yo. Still alive and back to laying prime wood to every team or fighter that the rapper pushes his online chips behind, and it happened yet again. Before tip-off, Drake 
cast his voodoo slip on Duke by posting a Graham story showing that he bet 100 gur, 100 grand in Canadian dough, roughly 80K in American paper on Coach K and Duke to beat their hated rivals. And if there's anything that sports betting nation knows about Drake, it's that he sucks at sports betting and that Duke was cooked. Am I right, Colby? Let's talk about all the, the money that Drake lost tonight. He needs to go back to, you know, selling those albums to get back the money. He should have went to America's Pick of the Week by my bookie. I tried to give the people the Pick of the Week. I'm America's champ, and I was America's Pick of the Week. Drake, you suck at sports betting. Go back to your little albums of rapping. All right, first of all, he should go to DraftKings. And second of all, I mean, him saying he sucks at sports betting and makes bleep music. I mean, forget that part, Drake. Those are Colby's words, not mine. And side note, personally, I don't find Colby amusing at all. I don't think he's funny at all. At all. But that soundbite cracks me up every single time. Every single time that makes me laugh. This dude is swerving way out of his way to hammer fist Drake in the mouth like he did my guy Jorge by telling him that he sucks at sports betting and he needs to go back to selling bleepy little albums. Like, this dude to me is not funny, but that is really funny. Drake, you suck at sports betting. Go back to your little albums of rapping. Like, I think you're a solid artist, Drake. And I don't think the Blue Devils lost because of you either. I mean, I still contend that Duke lost because they couldn't hit a three. They could not eliminate second chance points. They could not make a free throw when it mattered most. And they got beat by the better team. That's why they lost. Except most on social do not agree. They believe we, or they agree with Colby, that the reason Duke lost was because you smashed the Blue Devil mirror the second you smashed the place bets button on your phone. And honestly, dude, they kind of have a point, at least of late. I mean, you have been a wet blanket, my man, in the sports betting space. I mean, Colby said what he said because you did throw down 275 grand on Gamebred, beating him. And I'm not going to lie, your history does not help you. Yes, I saw you make that massive bet on the Rams and the Super Bowl, but you're already looking like your old self again, my guy. Never forget, and trust me, Twitter won't let you forget. Twitter did not let you forget after you clipped Duke's legs out from underneath them that you have been on an all-time cold streak for years. Trolls know that you cursed the Maple Leafs, Nick Saban, Conor McGregor, and Golden State. I mean, dude, there were a few years where even my guy Trevor Price was laughing at your picks. Double it. Now, it's not as bad as your selfie curse, but dude, you need a winner. You desperately need a winner. And since we all know it's not going to be tonight, could you at least do us all a solid and share your pick for the national championship game so we can all go the other way and make some money at least? Who you got, Drake? My man, who you got? It's Kansas minus four. Who you got? We need to know. We need to know who you got so we know who we got. The other side, whatever it is. Like, I wonder if Colby has weighed in yet about Drake's loss. Yo, Colby, what do you think of Drake's ability to handicap sports? Drake, you suck at sports betting. Go back to your little albums of rapping. Okay, all right, fine. How about fights? Drake, you suck at sports betting. Go back to your little albums of rapping. I mean, I got to admit, again, I don't find that guy very amusing, but I find that very amusing. Like, that's funny. That will never not be funny. But I mean, for real. (laughs) Like, I personally went 2-0 Saturday night, Drake. If you could post that Graham story a little earlier today, it would be very much appreciated. In fact, that's kind of what I'm waiting on. That's my system. You know, whenever the big head comes in here, he's like, yeah, yeah, hey, man, uh, I I got a system. I just can't say what it is. I'm not like that. I have a system, too, and I'll say exactly what it is. The opposite of whatever Drake says. I mean, dude, solid artist. Good dude. No offense. You're just not good at picking games. And almost nobody is. 
But dude, you're worse than almost nobody is good at it, if you know what I mean. So if you don't mind, can you put that story up so I can go the other way? Because I want to continue to get paid. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? He is Jerry Stackhouse. Stack it is so good to have you back. How are you, Jerry? What's up, Rome? How you doing, bro? Good, dude. How you doing? Man, I'm I'm hanging, man. Doing good. Still down here in New Orleans trying trying to steal the deal tonight. That's it. All right. So let's talk about that. I know you've got a lot on your plate with the work you're doing at Vandy. We'll get into that, but you're still in New Orleans. I gotta ask, Stack, what kind of emotions were running through you before tip off of the Duke North Carolina game on Saturday night? What was that like for you personally? That was my first time really being in that environment. Um, obviously, I've been was playing or coaching or doing something. I just had a chance to experience um, being a part of that. Excited for Hubert. Excited for the for the guys. Excited for our fan base. I mean, we you know we're in here. I mean, our, everybody came out to to support these guys, and it was it was just the unbelievable atmosphere, man. Just coming down the aisle, getting to your seats after the game. Everybody just you know super excited. I mean, we've never faced. You know, Duke and all these years of, of the tournament, finally getting the chance to, to meet them at the Final Four. And Coach K's last game, you know, obviously it's a lot of bragging rights. We still got some unfinished business, for, but for a lot of the fan base, uh, no matter what happens tonight, they, they, you know, they're they happy with, with what happened uh, night before last. And they're always going to have that. Jerry Stackhouse is joining us. You know, you touched on it, but I kind of want to get you to finish that thought in the sense that when they beat Duke, North Carolina, in Coach K's final home game, you had a great quote when you said, quote, I've got tremendous respect for Coach K and what he's been able to accomplish. And then you went on to say, quote, but at the same time, we still hate him and we're still super glad to spoil the party, end of quote. Look, for people who don't understand, Stack, how would you explain the rivalry and what it means to beat Coach K twice? Yeah, I think that's really what it is. It's about the rivalry, man. There's great guys on that side, obviously. Um, great, great friends. That, that, but whenever you just start talking about that rivalry and, and having an opportunity to to rub it in their face a little bit, I mean, I, I've had you know uh, Jay Williams. You know, he's been in my DM. He's been he's giving us a hard time. We didn't do enough for Coach K and all. I mean. He's, he gives us a hard time, so it's always good whenever we beat them to just kind of throw it back in his face. It's all it's a lot of fun, when it, but it, but it's real. I mean, especially for the people that live in that area, that, with it being so close. I mean, literally, you know, less than ten minutes away. So it's just to, to have those bragging rights because you share a lot of the same restaurants. You you know, a lot of different things, places that you you frequent when you're in that area. So just to be able to you know hold your nose up a little bit is, is part of the fun. But no, we definitely respect. Coach K respect Duke. You know what he's been able to accomplish. He's been one of the one of the greats, greatest coaches of, of all time, and and arguably the best. But you know, I'm mean, I'm a little biased. I still think Dean Smith is at the top for me. He is the head basketball coach at Vanderbilt and a Carolina man, Jerry Stackhouse. In a sec, you know what it takes to be a college head coach. So I'm curious, what thoughts do you have when you see the criticism that Hubert Davis took earlier in the year, and now the fact that he is in the championship game tonight? Well, I mean, I think uh, you know it, it, it probably wasn't warranted. I mean, but I think it, it's just tough whenever you're following a legend like Roy Williams. Um, I think it's. I always say the first guy that you know through the door after him is going to be the first guy to get shot. And I think uh, Hubert was was bold enough to to step in those shoes. I mean, I think there was a succession plan there. Obviously, they talked to a few guys, talked to 
you know, me talk to different guys, but I mean, I think he was the guy the whole way because, you know, when you've been a part of what's been going on as, as long as Roy had, and since he's taken over, he still want to be a part of it. And I think having some connection to um, Hubert allowed him to, 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 to still kind of be in the mix more than if it was somebody from the outside. So I think that was the plan the whole time. And, and I think that, um, you know, he was done a fabulous job. He's been able to, to take all of the criticism that knows were coming that comes with, coaching at one of the blue bloods i mean i, I mean that, that's what it is when things don't go well you're going to hear about it and i think he's um you know receiving you know the, the just due that he's getting now because he, he he kept you know kept outside noise continued to weather the storm continued to coach his team and and now they're playing on the biggest stage and the biggest game of the year you know with an opportunity to, to do something that not many have done and that's win a, a national championship in his first year jerry stackhouse like nobody's done that literally nobody's done that jerry stackhouse is the head coach of vanderbilt stack i know that you have great pride and you should in the fact that you never lost to duke as a player you never lost to them and in fact had one of the most legendary dunks in college basketball history when you dropped that reverse dunk at cameron indoor stadium what do you remember about that moment no, I just remember just the, the leading up to the week, all in fanfare. Um, you know, even that, that first year, I mean, you, you heard about it. Whenever you re- get recruited, you you know you go to those games and you see it. And when I was a recruit, and I went to the Duke and North Carolina game um, at Cameron at, at at North Carolina, you just say, "Man, I want to be a part of this." You can just feel it. You feel that energy. And you know, again, like I, I probably that that play. You know, one of the most you know iconic plays from you know from our from our series and our rivalry. I, I always joke I get a chance to see myself with a little bit of hair, probably <laughs> once a year because okay. because I'm able to because they continue to show that highlight. But now it's just one of those moments, man. And you know, in Cameron, all of those fans right on top of you. And I got you know got it on the wing and was able to um, you know just just take off and make a play that. You know, kind of even I, I normally don't show much emotion, but I even had a little bit of emotion after that. It's just that energy of, of quiet in that crowd and, and the moment of, 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 of having one of those big moments in a Duke Carolina game. Jerry Stackhouse joining us. You mentioned, Stack, that there's unfinished business. Like, beating Duke in the Final Four is incredible, but the goal is not just to get to the Final Four. It's to win the whole thing. So from where you're sitting, what is the key to turning around from Saturday night? Because it is a quick turnaround and getting ready to face Kansas tonight. Well, I think, you know, Baycott's health is, is super important. I think he, you know, he turned his ankle a little bit toward the end of that game, but, you know, he was able to get back out there. So that was a sigh of relief for, for everybody in the building. Um, you know, even if, uh, you know, even though we win that game, we know that we need him, especially the way McCormick played for Kansas. Um, Abaji, the way he's shooting the basketball right now, it's going to be a big challenge for, for Leaky Black to step up and try to control him. But it, but it's going to start with the, with the guards as well. Uh, with, you know, Remy Martin and um, R.J. Davis, those guys are going to have to um, you know, have to play, have to control the, the tempo uh, offensively, really get into each other defensively, and whichever teams. It, it just comes about competitive greatness, man. The, the, the shot that uh, Caleb Love made, it wasn't about any play. It wasn't about any X's and O's. It was just that competitive greatness of stepping up and making the biggest play and, and the biggest moment, and, and hopefully – um, the Tar Heels have, have more guys doing that than, than Kansas does tonight. It's an amazing moment. Jerry Stackhouse joining us for a few more moments. You know, Stack, you mentioned that to you, obviously, Dean Smith is the guy. You have nothing but respect for Coach K, but Dean Smith is the guy. I'm kind of curious, like, how would you describe the Carolina way of doing things? And then how much of what you learn from Dean Smith shows up in how you approach your job at Vanderbilt? Man, it has a lot of imprint. I mean, I've had taken from a lot of, a lot of coaches that I've, uh, that I played under, uh, whether it was uh, Rick Carlisle or um, Avery Johnson, um, and, and Doug Collins, you know, Scott Skiles, but but none had more imprint on, on what I do than, than Coach Smith. Just from you know, how we start practice, with an offensive thought of the day, a defensive thought of the day, just a, a general life thought, um, and you know, just the, the principles of you know how we share the ball offensively. Um, defensively, being a no middle team, you know, falling things to the baseline. Those are, um, and I still run uh, a, a new version of, of secondary offense. So it's, it's just, you know, he has unbelievable impact on the way I see the game of basketball. Um, you know, I, I got tremendous respect for for who he is. That's why I still wear a suit on the sideline. I never wear uh, athletic wear because that's, you know, he, he approached it as a professional. He approached it as a business, and I'm going to always honor him. 
by you know standing on that sidelines in a suit and and, and respecting the profession and, and a lot of that comes from from Coach Smith. I love that stack. I love that so much. Like I'm I'm. I'm somewhere where uh, I'm somewhere in the sense that I'm going to suit up always when I come on TV, not from my radio program, but like if guys, I understand that with the pandemic, when guys went out with athletic wear and they felt more comfortable and they were more effective, that's great. But and I'm not here to judge, but I love the fact that you're still going to suit up always, and especially for the reason you just gave. You beat Georgia and Alabama in the SEC tourney. You gave Kentucky all they could handle. Then you followed that up with a couple of wins in the NIT before losing an absolute heartbreaker to Xavier. I know that's not the end goal, but what did it say about everybody in the program that you can compete and show the grit that they did at the postseason? What did you make of the way your guys showed up? No, it was great for our guys, man. You know, we've we, you know, like every team, we, we've had some adversity during the year. We dealt with some injuries, guys that, um, you know, that we wish we would have had for the full season. Uh, you know, Liam Robbins uh, and you know, Rodney Chapman was a couple of big uh, namely transfers that, that we had coming in, and, and they dealt with injuries during the year. But our guys, it was still, you know, I felt like we we grew. You know, we lost a lot of close games early in the year, you know, without them. We were able to, to get them back toward the end, of, the end of the year and some of those growing pains that we learned from in the earlier part of the season. We were able to um, kind of write those things going into March and, and we played our best basketball and um, you know, like I said had a great opportunity in, in the SEC tournament maybe a call here maybe a call there things are, are different for us there and we, we play another day but then that's, that was great momentum to get us into the NIT tournament and ultimately um, losing to Xavier who, who won it all so I mean we, we know that, that, that we're on the verge of, that we're a tournament team you know, that we, we know that and we're um, you know, you got to be prepared for next year that you know we're not going to be the ones that are hunting as much. That we're going to kind of be um, hunted because of the guys that we we have coming back. Hopefully, Scotty decides to come back. He's still you know kind of mulling over his decision, but we got a talented um, you know group coming in. You know, four uh, freshmen coming in that that are, that are really talented. To, that now that we're going to have that competitive depth throughout our roster that we haven't had since I've been there. So. A lot of a lot of momentum going on, a lot of energy, a lot of synergy around what we're doing there at Vanderbilt. I mean, I think the knock at Vanderbilt has been that you know they hadn't been always focused on the athletics, but our, our new chancellor and our AD are 100% committed to you know offering the best you know student athlete experience in, in the country, and, and, and I'm glad that um, I'm at the helm to try to you know to take that charge from the from the men's basketball side. I love it. I love it. It's an amazing institution, and I was going to ask you what the next step for the program looks like, and you just answered it perfectly. So, final thought, Stack, what would a Carolina win tonight mean to you personally? It would be great, man. I think it's just great, you know, vindication for Hubert. I mean, again, from the coaching side, we were happy for the players and, and, and what they've been able to come, you know, accomplish this year, but it, it just comes to all of those all those lessons that you you know go through to the throughout the course of the year, all of those again, those experiences, and who can come and 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 execute what they've been taught, you know, in the heat of the battle, in the biggest moment, um, can we can we stay together? Are there going to be runs on both sides? Yes. All are there going to be some adversity on both sides? Yes. Who can handle those runs the most? Who can 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 make those key plays? Who can come up and find a way to have that competitive greatness? But but for me personally, it'd be great to. Um, to see our alma mater to, to, to go up two on Duke in, in, in the in the national championship rank. So uh, all, all all that it still ties back to that that rivalry with Duke being able to get a little bit more separation for them would, would feel good. But my youngest son, who you know, went to Carolina as well, he's 25. He he could care less about this game tonight. The only thing that mattered to him was we beat Duke in the final. <laughs> so. That, that's kind of where that's kind of where where it splits with some of the fan base about tonight. I was just gonna say, I've got a feeling that a lot of the fan base feels that way too. He's the head basketball coach of Vanderbilt, and in his third season there already, things are turned around. They had 19 wins. They made it to the NIT quarterfinals this season. A two-time NBA All Star, a National Player of the Year, and of course, an All American at North Carolina. Stack, so good to get caught up. Always appreciate you. You know that, but especially on a big day like today. Thanks so much for doing that, Jerry. You sound great. No. No doubt, man. I appreciate you, man. Good talking to you as well, bro. You too, Stack. And now I've got a message from Discover about rewards. If you're a loyal credit card customer, you should be rewarded for your loyalty, preferably with something that's useful, you know, like cashback match. Discover matches all the cash back that you've earned at the end of your first year. How cool is that? Finally, rewards that make sense. 
Discover. Exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations do apply. It started with flight tracking last week. It's only gotten louder. Tiger Woods may actually be playing in the Masters this week. Like, that's a real thing, too. He might actually play. Now, I want to say there's no way, right? There's no way this guy could seriously play at the Masters. It's got to be just some sort of motivational piece for him, some sort of Jedi mind trick, something to pick himself up. I mean, we all do what we have to do, right, to get ourselves going. It's got to be something to give his rehab process a little extra shot of adrenaline, right? I mean, maybe not. Because yesterday, Tiger hit the whole thing with a truck full of gasoline when he thumbed out this tweet, in part. I will be heading up to Augusta today to continue my preparation and practice. It will be a game-time decision on whether I compete. End of quote. So it's one thing to say, I want to be there. It's really important to me. It's another thing to actually be there and preparing. And the moment he posted that tweet, Tiger Honks collectively lost their bleep. They started freaking out because it was just one more sign that their guy might be coming back. That this was no longer just speculation or people around the sport saying that he might play or maybe his team just kind of planting this. This was the guy himself saying, I'm in route. I might be able to do this. And sure enough, he was there at Augusta yesterday, physically. And he did appear to be continuing his prep and his practice. So I'm not sure what's more surreal to me. I don't know what was mind-blowing. The sight of Tiger Woods in the practice area yesterday or the sight of Tiger Wearing foot joys. The hell was that? How weird was that? Tiger Woods in foot joys. Tiger Woods in foot joys. What's next? Michael Jordan showing up to hoop. Rocking New Balance. Giannis in Skechers. I mean, how weird was that? How weird is all of it? I'm as baffled as anybody with a rational mind that this might actually be possible. Did you see the vehicle that he destroyed last February? This guy hit a tree at 70 miles per hour, nearly lost his leg, and that was just over a year ago. And now possibly it's a game-time decision for this guy to play in the Masters. Let me say this. If this guy can pull this off, and by pull it off, I mean play, not win. Let's not be stupid. But if this guy could play, it would be incredible. I mean, remarkable. If this guy actually can play, that's an amazing thing. Now, however, if he's messing with everybody and he already knows that there's no possibility that he can play and he's just doing this to mess with everybody and get everybody's hopes up, then that's not cool. That's not cool at all. I mean, this guy can do whatever the hell he wants, right? He's Tiger Woods. And whatever... It does or helps in the way of rehab, fine. You've been through a hell of a lot. I get that. But if he already knows that he can't even go 36 holes and he's leading everybody to believe that he can, then that would not be cool. So I'm not exactly sure what he means when he says it's a game-time decision. Does that mean that he might be able to get enough done between now and then? Or he really doesn't know and he's going to find out between now and then? Cool. But if it means I'm going to string y'all out for a few more hours and then drop the hammer on you, then that's not cool. If he knows that he's going to need some sort of divine intervention or a miracle to play on Thursday, then I'm not cool with that. Like, I'll believe he's playing when I see him playing. And I don't mean that in a hater sort of way. I mean that in a real sort of way. The reason I'm saying that is, while I'm no doctor, I do have a pair of eyes. And they function pretty well. I saw this dude's SUV last year. That rig was mangled. And so was his leg. Also mangled. Apparently, if you believe him, to the point of amputation being an option. So forgive me if I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around the fact that a year later, this guy could actually play in the Masters. He nearly got his leg lopped off, allegedly, a year ago. Yet he's going to seriously make a run at playing in the Masters? Incredible. 
if true. Meantime, Phil Mickelson took some negative press. Didn't get his leg mangled and nearly amputated. Just his reputation mangled and amputated. But he took some negative press for being a dumbass. And he's going to shut it down for an extended period of time. Now, how does any of that make sense? How is Tiger more prepared to play a Masters than Hefty at this point? And yes, I know we're talking about golf. And we're not talking about running a marathon or the Olympic final of the 100 meters. I know we're not talking about a squat competition. And we're only talking about a guy walking. But if you nearly lost your leg... Walking 18 holes is a grind, especially walking that track. And it's been a grind for him of late. He told this to Jim Nance as recently as February. You know, I, I can hit balls. Um, the, the hard part is, is actually walking. And so that's going to take some time. I'm going to have to put in the time and the effort at home and do all the beach walks and walk golf courses. I mean, if walking was challenging in February? Can you imagine playing in April and playing that tournament? So if this guy comes back, that's pretty amazing. And here's where I come out. It should be regarded as amazing. And it's a change because Tiger in his prime was the ultimate second place is the first loser guy. It was only about winning. It didn't matter. If he didn't win, it didn't matter. Nothing mattered. In fact, second sucked, remember? He said it. He made it really clear. Just like I know that he's not teeing it up this week. This is my opinion. He's not teeing it up this week, if he does, with the intention of winning. He knows. There's no way this guy thinks he has a chance to win. And before you say, hold up, Rome, Tiger bleeping woods. Trust me, Tiger knows. Tiger's running a different race now. You know, like, you don't need to win the marathon for it to be a great day. Just finishing is often the biggest win ever. Same thing here. If this guy could just make it back to a place he loves, to a place where he had some of his greatest moments ever, and run the race, I would imagine that would be an amazing thing for that guy. And believe me, I get that this is about the last dude in the history of the world that would ever want a participation trophy, but given what this dude's been through in the last year and the fact that he nearly lost his leg, I would imagine he'd take a participation trophy if you gave him one this week, even if the trophy were just a leg. In fact, especially if it were a leg. Man, i put that right up there with the mantle with everything else. Can I tell you something? If this dude makes the cut, they ought to cut him a green vest. If he makes the cut, he should get a green vest. If he makes it to the turn on Thursday, they should give him a pair of green pants. What I'm saying is, just having this guy there would be great. It would make a great event even better. But let's be clear. This guy's not going to win if he plays. It's, it's, I mean, let's be real. There's no way. And I'm well aware of 2019. An incredible thing. I'm well aware that he once did it on a torn-up ACL on a busted stick back in the day. This is not back in the day. Back in the more recent day, he wrapped his rig around a tree and nearly lost his leg. So, bottom line, this dude being there would make it better. But thinking he's going to play and win is to quote Alvy and Coach Ricky, that's ridiculous. Sir, in all honesty, it was ridiculous. That is ridiculous. I bring in the all-knowing, well, mostly knowing, giant dome, back for even more. Head, what's cracking? How was your weekend? Did you get into anything interesting? Knowing you, I'm going to assume the answer is no. But did you? <laughs> well, wife and kids are out of town, Jim, like yours. Whoa, um, whoa, whoa, I didn't know that. Yes, yes. They're, they're out and about visiting grandma, so I... um. Got drunk responsibly, I, I guess you could say. So, you know. Dude, so take me through it. How I did not know that. How nice a weekend was that? Urgh! How much did you miss your fam? It's uh, I missed them a lot, obviously, but they're still gone for a couple more days. So I'm still continuing to drink my sorrows away. Like um, then, then why are you lowering your voice like they might hear you or find out? You're on the radio in front of several hundred stations. Like they're gonna me hear. Up, Alvin. 
pop me up, Alvin. Like, like what's get it, quote, getting drunk responsibly? You're, you're like an old man. You're like, you're a one Stella guy now, right? What Did you dial it up? What's your deal now? No, I dialed it up, hit a, hit a local watering hole, some dive bars down there and wherever I'm at. I'm not going to say exactly where I'm at, but I went down there, met some friends. I haven't been in there Dude, in your a head's so big, time. it's not like they don't have a GPS on you. They'll know where you're at, dude. <laughs> you met some friends down there? I did, yeah. I haven't seen him for a while, and it was great, man. It was a good time. Watching I can't Ashley believe it, dude. You left the house. You got out. You hit yes. the bricks. Yeah. All right, so good news, bad news. Good news is you and I actually hit both of our picks on Saturday night. We gave the clones for uh, – we picked Saturday's games, but we did mm-hmm. it on Friday. We made the money. That's good. Bad news is you and I were both – holding a Duke Futures ticket at plus 1,200 to win it all. So I'm guessing you're feeling the same way I am in the sense that we got both games right. We mm-hmm. look good. We got them paid, but not nearly as good as you and I both would have felt if we cashed the big check. Am I right? Yeah, you're exactly right. Direct kick in the stick when uh, Love hit that three. Almost a perfect weekend. The margin's so small. And Did you say a direct kick in the stick? Oh, dude, right in the stick. Yeah, no, right I heard it the first time, I guess. Yeah. It was more rhetorical, all right. So, yeah, how did that feel when when Caleb knocked that shot down? Dude, that, the missed free throws, the um, not closing out, the throwing the ball under your own hoop after a loose ball, all the inexperience just came back and choked us out. It was <laughs> just like one thing goes the other way. We're hitting all three of these bets, and we're looking great tonight. All but. right, so, I've okay, I have not hit your Twitter feed yet. Are you changing your pin to tweet? Was it that bad? No, no, not that bad. No. That For those who like do not know, lay that out. Yeah, that was like $4,500, not twelve. For those who do not know that story and have not gone to your feed, what is your pinned tweet? The Kansas City, well, it was back in the day. I think it's probably the 50-1 to 1 I hit on the Tampa Bay Bucks right now, but it used to be the 45-1 to 1 I had on the Kansas City Chiefs, and they forgot to line up on sides correctly, and they would have beat the Patriots back in the day and went on to win the Super Bowl, so that was up there for years. Probably will be for 45 more years. All right, so I like this game a lot, and Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but I've been going – actually, I do because you and I have talked about it. I've gone back and forth, back and forth since Saturday night, and I really only made my decision a few minutes ago. I've been waiting on Drake, but I can't find out what he's doing. So my obvious questions about North Carolina are how effective will Armando Baycott be? And will North Carolina be able to bounce back this quickly after expending so much energy mentally, emotionally, and physically in that win over Duke? I want to repeat this really quickly, Head. I'm not saying that the de facto title game was that game. I know they were happy. I know the fans were happy about that. I don't think they'll be flat. I just think that they expended so much energy and had to lay so much out there in that game, that coming back this quickly is going to be tough. How do you see it? Is the number still four, and how are you playing it? Yeah, I still have Kansas minus four on DraftKings, and I'll take that, Jim. I like the Rock Chalk Jayhawks minus four. Agree on the emotions, and especially Baycott, man. He's North Carolina's most important player by far. He controls the glass, anchors that defense, and that they have zero depth behind him. Kansas is going to go at him early and often, Slay. Now, if he even stays in the game and out of foul trouble and that ankle holds up, I still like Kansas because they match up well. But they have to do two things better than they did against Nova. One, keep Carolina off that offensive glass. Villanova got 12 offensive rebounds against them. Kansas does have the size and depth to do that. And two, guard the three better. Nova hit 13 three-pointers. Carolina has hit at least 10 in every single tournament game here. This is usually the strength of a very good Kansas defense. Also, Kansas's offense can beat you in more than one way with several different options against Nova. They themselves hit 13 threes, too, from a team that attempted 200, uh, the 259th most threes in the country on the season. They also are poised and don't panic. They were up. Nova was coming back hard, and Kansas kept their cool. Now, against the spread, Carolina is the hotter team for sure. They've covered every single game in the tournament and have several notable trends against uh, the spread that are fire in play here. But, dude, I'm going rock, chalk, Jayhawk, minus four, unless, unless, like you said, Drake says different, then go the opposite of him. So hold this for a little bit longer. (laughs) Is that that what you're doing? Like, Are you going on record right now with Kansas minus four unless Drake does the same thing and then you'll flip-flop? 
That's right. I'm not hitting that button until later tonight. I'm going to be on his Instagram refreshing that thing all the time. I, I love that your sense is not like, I'm looking That's for right. any of the latest information about Baycott. I'm looking for any of the <laughs> in- latest information about Drake. Like, Baycott's really, really important to what North Carolina does, but not nearly as important as to what Drake does. Drake's part of our new system, I guess, right? I got one for the NFL. I've been looking for one for uh, NBA and college basketball of late, and I think I found Drake. Well, no, I said it myself. I, I don't know yeah. if you were listening earlier because you probably weren't, unless you have to, but you have a system and you won't say what the system is i have a system and i'm not afraid to say what it is my entire system is do what drake doesn't do <laughs> that's my whole system so i've gone back and forth right now you're winning big time yeah. all right so i've got you so you've got kansas minus four i've gone back and forth my feeling is i would take kansas straight up that to me would be a pretty easy call right. but right. saying no to carolina who is playing as well or better than anybody now for weeks and mm-hmm. those points is not nearly as easy because they're not a number eight we know this they're a number mm-hmm. eight in name only they've been lights out the entire tournament as you point out a number of the trends Against the spread, especially, they are really, really good. Fire. They're talented enough to win it. That Baycott thing, though, that, that's a really tough question to answer. Like, I've got no way of knowing how effective this guy's going to be. If he's not himself, David McCormick is going to abuse them. That's and it's it. going to get ugly, right? So, yep. North Carolina's best may beat Kansas's best, but I don't think the Jayhawks are going to get UNC's best tonight. I hate to have to lay those points against a really good North Carolina team, but I'm going to take the team that's healthier, the team that's more rested, and hell, they thrashed Villanova despite getting thrashed on the offensive boards. KU minus four for me. Hell yes. Good. Yes. I like that. Are we getting paid? I think we're going to get paid tonight, man. Minus four. All right. There it is, Head. Nice job. Thanks, Jim. Have See a great Friday, night. man. Thanks yeah. for uh, working another partial day. <laughs> See you at the bank, bro. <laughs> See you at the bank. The head or that watering hole. Good night now.